0: I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm Chantal, and he's Hayes, and you're watching AM to DM. Good morning, Chantal. Good morning, Hayes. They finally did it. They put us together. They did it. Melanin is here. Poppin'. Thriving. Ready to go. Yes, we're ready.
1: Okay, if you are just tuning into Twitter and wondering why RBG is trending, she is okay. I mean, she fell and broke three ribs, but she's okay. She's recovering. She's going to be all right, (sighs) everyone. Breathe. up. Okay. But now, we're going to jump right in this morning with breaking news out of California. A gunman opened fire at a Southern California bar. As BuzzFeed News tweeted, at least 12 people were killed in a mass shooting Wednesday night. The shooter is also dead. Among the dead is Ventura County Sheriff, Sergeant Ron Helis, a 29-year veteran who is due to retire within a year.
0: BuzzFeed News reported that the bar was celebrating a country music-themed college night for students 18 and over when the shots rang out. We're tweeting out a live link to this post right now. You can go there to follow along with the latest.
1: Okay, shifting gears, we're going to move on to news that surprised all of, I would guess, maybe two people. Now former Attorney General Jeff Sessions submitted his resignation to Donald Trump yesterday via a letter hand-delivered to Chief of Staff John Kelly.
0: Joining us now to talk about this shocking news is BuzzFeed News Justice Department reporter Dominic Holden. Morning, Dominic.
2: Good morning. How are you?
0: You know what? It's another day. We're here. So let's get right to it. Why did Donald Trump make Sessions submit his resignation?
2: Well, Donald Trump was angry, uh, which is always a surprise when he's angry. Um, This time it was because Jeff Sessions had recused himself from the Russia investigation overseen by special counsel Robert Mueller. And this was looking into whether or not there was some sort of collusion with Russians, the Russian government, to win the 2016 election. Jeff Sessions, as you will recall, he was a a US senator. He was a big supporter and participant in the campaign. So he withdrew himself from it. Donald Trump, of course, was frustrated that he didn't have a yes man as the attorney general willing to shut down the investigation. And so he was angry and he disparaged Sessions. And finally, after the midterm, elections. uh, He said, Sessions, it's time to go and Sessions is out.
0: Wow. So is there a significance with the timing of him waiting until after the midterm elections to make this decision?
2: I mean, it's hard to understand what's going on in that man's head because it's so unpredictable, if not downright deranged. But I think it's probably safe to say that politically in advance of a major election to have taken a step that looks like it's stopping an investigation would look overtly political. I mean, sort of the irony here is that Trump claims that this is a witch hunt, which is a conspiracy, um, and that it is politically motivated to disparage him and make him look bad. Um, But then the concern with doing it before the midterms is that it would look political. It doesn't make it any less political that it's after the midterms, but here we are.
1: Okay, so we know Sessions is out. Tell us a little about the acting attorney general. Who is actually the top law enforcement
2: official in the U.S. right now? Um, So it's a little bit unusual. Normally it would be Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, but instead the president has leapfrogged over him and gone to a man named Matt Whitaker. He is Sessions' former chief of staff and Matt Whitaker, also a uh, college football player fun fact, and, well, a U.S. attorney from uh, Iowa. So he is familiar with the Justice Department. He isn't expected to have radically different views about domestic policy, policy, but he's definitely indicated he's got concerns with the Mueller investigation and the Russia investigation, and he does seem to be a loyalist to Trump
1: So, yeah, we've seen that he has joined the president's rhetoric in calling the Mueller investigation a witch hunt. But what can we actually expect in terms of change uh, from this new guy in terms of the investigation, how it's progressing?
2: Oh, Lordy, doesn't everyone want to know the answer to that? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just so we're really clear about something, you know, this is a guy who has repeated the witch hunt line. that is a conspiracy theory, right? The Mueller investigation has indicted or gotten guilty pleas from more than 30 people, uh, guilty pleas from uh, Trump's own campaign chair and people involved in the campaign, uh, in addition to more than a dozen Russians. Um uh, who have been indicted by the Mueller investigation. Like There are people breaking the law. There's no question about that. Um, but uh, what we may see is that Whitaker attempts to essentially subvert this investigation. He could reduce the budget uh, for Mueller's staff. And as the person who is overseeing uh, the uh, Russia investigation at the top now, since uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein isn't, um, he could have the ability to block indictments or certain lines of inquiry um, and essentially try to grind it to a halt.
0: Wow. So Whitaker is now the acting attorney general. We've seen a few names floating around. Who or contenders that could take the spot permanently?
2: I mean, the top of the list, of course, is Whitaker himself. He could be confirmed by the Senate. Whoever it's going to be would need a Senate confirmation. Um, so we'll get to know whoever it is quite well. Um, Alex Azar, the HHS uh, secretary, is a name who's been floated. Uh, Stephen Bradbury, the general counsel at the Department of Transportation. Um, there's a. Uh, Sort of a laundry list of names we don't r- really know, but among them even include Senator Lindsey Graham, who'd been cr- critical of Trump and now has become one of Trump's biggest and most outspoken loyalists.
1: Uh, building off of that really quickly, Senator Lamar Alexander, who is on the Senate uh, Select Committee on Intelligence, uh, said that he anyone who uh, is confirmed as attorney general would have to support the Russia investigation. Do you think that will hold up uh, once Trump has picked a nominee?
2: I mean, it's really hard to say what the Senate's going to do uh, or when this confirmation would take place. Republicans have picked up seats in the Senate, so uh, naysayers or doubters um, may not be um, as much of a factor. I think a lot of it's going to come down, honestly, to Senator uh, Chuck Grassley of Iowa. He's chair of the powerful Judiciary Committee uh, that would oversee uh, the first step of this confirmation. So far, he hasn't said that there's going to be some sort of barometer uh, of what the qualities of a potential permanent AG will be. So I think we'll have to keep our eye out for that.
1: All right, thank you, Dominic, so much for joining us. A pleasure as always. Pleasure is mine. All right, Twitter. We would like to hear from you. In light of session situation, would you rather be asked to resign from your job or straight up fired? Tweet us your response at hashtag am2dm. Chantal, how about you? Either
0: you, way I go, just run me my money. Just, just run me the coin, uh, <laughs> whatever direction it takes. What as long you? as you get that good yes, severance that check. Yeah, go. What about you?
1: I I think that I would go with the firing as long as there's severance involved. I mean, my pride is not so much that I will be like, oh no, I resigned instead of yeah. you know getting that bank.
0: Ah, uh, that's so real, so okay. real. Well, anywho, while election night was Tuesday, there are still a number of races out there, big and small, that have yet to be called officially. Stacey Abrams running for governor of Georgia had this tweet. Make no mistake, this race is not over. As we have done since day one, my team will continue to work around the clock to make sure that every ballot is counted, because voting is a bedrock and lifeblood of our democracy.
1: Joining us to talk about that and the general lay of the land after Tuesday is BuzzFeed News political reporter Nidhi Prakash. Good morning, Nidhi.
3: Hi, good morning.
1: So let's start off with that race in Georgia, Nidhi, between Secretary of State Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams. Where's that count at right now?
3: Sure. So, basically, officials are continuing to count. So, the Abrams campaign uh, said on Tuesday night that they thought that there was something like 77,000 uncounted ballots uh, from mail-in and provisional ballots. Uh, And so, the process of continuing to count those is still going on right now.
1: Okay. So, Stacey Abrams put out this fundraising call uh, yesterday. What is she hoping to really get out of the funds at this point?
3: So, basically, what could happen if... uh, after that count uh, is completed, the race is super tight, is that it could trigger a runoff race, which means that there would be nearly another month of campaigning. Uh, so I think we can assume that that's what those funds would be going towards.
0: Wow, so Brian Kemp, her opponent, has been accused of like tipping the scales of the election. Will he be in charge of the recount, a runoff, if it ha- if happens?
3: So Kemp has repeatedly refused to recuse himself voluntarily. As, uh, as the Chief Elections Officer, as Secretary of State. Uh, basically what's happened is that a lawsuit was filed on Tuesday uh, aimed at basically forcing him to recuse himself from that position. Uh, what's happened so far is that uh, there hasn't been a decision made in that lawsuit. There is a hearing on it actually this morning. So we can expect a decision on that sometime soon after that.
1: Okay, let's move Southeast to Florida. Uh, there's two Graces there that are still looking neck and neck. Is that correct still?
3: There's actually quite a few. There's several down there, but probably the most prominent one is uh, the Senate race down there between uh, Bill Nelson and Rick Scott.
1: Right. And uh, is there any chance of that going to runoff? Like, what's the status of that race?
3: So essentially, the first step in that one is that it could uh, trigger a recount. So the state has until Saturday to count uh, a lot of provisional ballots. Uh, And if that, again, turns out to be a very tight count, uh, that could immediately trigger uh, a recount. Oh, wow. So are there any other races that you have your eye on that haven't been called yet? So I think one that's important is an Arizona Senate race between Kristen Cinema and Martha McSally. Um, oh. So that's also looking pretty tight. We don't have an answer on, on where that stands just now. Um, but basically, it's a particularly interesting one because Martha McSally is one of those GOP candidates who, in the course of her campaign, basically kind of seemed to flip her position on Trump a little bit and, and you know, cozied up to him in the lead up to the election.
1: Actually, Nitty. wow, we just got some breaking news while we were in the middle of this interview. It seems that Brian Kemp has resigned as Georgia's secretary of state, meaning he won't oversee the final count of his own election or recount or runoff if they're triggered. So that's a pretty Uh, big deal, I would say.
3: I guess that heads off the (laughs) hearing this morning. So that is very interesting. I'm sure that that's, uh, you know, that's a relief to the Abrams campaign.
0: Oh, wow, wow, indeed. Now, Niddy, you also wrote a piece yesterday about one of the big things that's going on, going to be happening when the new Congress is sworn in, investigations of Trump. Now, what's at the top of Democrats' list right now?
3: So most definitely after yesterday, Jeff Sessions' forced resignation is number one, I would say. I mean, uh, several top Democrats in the House have said that they hope it'll be investigated before they take charge in January. But definitely if it's not, it's at the top of their list.
1: Okay. one of the other things that we've seen being tossed about is the idea that Democrats, once they take power, could finally get access to Donald Trump's tax returns. Uh, How drawn out do you think a fight over that will be? I'm sure the White House will put up a fight over it.
3: Yeah, yeah. so the the incoming head of the House Ways and Means Committee basically uh, says that he has the authority to request those returns from the IRS, but that he expects a lawsuit. So, I I mean, he already is anticipating that kind of fight back.
0: Wow. And Majority Leader Mitch McConnell referred to the potential um, waterfall of investigations as harassing the president. Now, would you say that's fair?
3: I mean, I would just say that part of the whole point of having congressional committees is that they can provide some oversight of what the president and the White House does.
1: That's an extremely good point. Thank you so much for joining us, Nitty. We really appreciate you taking the time this morning. Thanks so much. All right, stay tuned, everyone. We've got a lot more am to dm coming up next, including Fire Tweets, Chef Flynn McGarry, and one named comedian, Queen Ziwe. Queen. Queen. I love her. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. It is time for your favorite segment and mine, Fire Tweets. Here we have. Here we go. Let's start off with a tweet from Metaclore Defense, who tweeted: Ah, <laughs> petition to bring back 2005 emo culture in the 2020s, so we can call that decade the Roaring Twenties.
0: <laughs> 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 <Roaring. laughs> the
1: Roaring. The Roaring Twenties. Get that eyeliner oh, like, out, yes, people. Yes, like, ready for this? All
0: right. Up next, we have Madison French. Madison, you tweeted: Priest, I'd be like that sometime. Congregation. And sometimes like that it would be. Oh. Angels rising.
1: (laughs) All right, next up we have a tweet from our own Isaac Fitzgerald. Too busy to be here, not too busy to tweet. Here we go. (laughs) I do my best to live a non-violent life, but if someone stole the duck, I will put them in the ground.
0: Put them in the dirt. That's
1: about the mandarin duck that has been spotted in Central Park. It went missing the Mm -hmm. other day. If you have seen the duck, let us know immediately. Yes. It With is the royal important.
0: feathers. Like, oh, imagine queen duck. Beautiful queen. All right, up next, ugly popcorn. You tweeted. <laughs> I missed the knees I had when Pop Lock and Drop It first came out.
1: Oh God, I, still I feel this that. in my
0: soul and my S- knees. S- oh my so goodness, hard. the cracking that commences when I do it now. I don't, right, it's not I so,
1: Pop Lock and stay down. Yeah, <laughs>
0: and stay. All, down.
1: <laughs> all right, next up, Gigi. You tweeted. <laughs> Somebody said LaGuardia is just a bodega with planes, and I haven't stopped (laughs)
0: laughing. (laughs) (laughs) So true.
1: But you can't even get a good bacon, egg, and cheese at LaGuardia, so what's the point? Yes,
0: I need my Sour Patch straws. They don't have it, so it doesn't count. Doesn't count. it doesn't. All right. Today's Tweet of the Day is brought to you by Disney's Ralph Breaks the Internet. In theaters November 21st. And it comes to you from Rampage.
1: Let's do this. All right.
0: (laughs) Overheard a guy who uses voice text to write an email at work today. Monotone. Thank you. Comma. But that does not really help.
1: <laughs> I would not be able to keep it together if someone downstairs did that to me. What is
0: going on? What is going on? What? All right. Well, shout out to Rampage for tweet of the day, and shout out to Yes, the expert on all things trendy from Ralph Breaks the Internet.
1: All right. Up next, we are going live from the district with Congressman John Delaney. Stay tuned, everyone.
0: Welcome back. We are going live from the district with White House correspondent Tarini Party. She is sitting down with Congressman John Delaney, a Democrat from Maryland who, is, who declared he was running for president against Trump last
4: year. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Thank you, Chantal. Uh, thanks so much, Congressman Delaney, for joining us today. It's great to be here. Uh, yeah, so let's get right to sure. uh, the big question um, why, why are you running for president?
5: Well, I think the central question facing this country is how do we take this terribly divided nation, where American has been pitted against American, and start bringing it back together. I think there's obviously something better in our politics, and I'm running for president to be the person who unifies this nation, right, and leads us to a better place in our politics, where we're actually working together and building the new America, if you will, together, not as Democrats, not as Republicans, but as Americans.
4: So we've just gone through a very divisive midterm cycle. Yes. It's been barely two days. Why should people already start, be, start paying attention to the 2020 presidential cycle?
5: Well, the Iowa caucuses is in, you know, 14, 15 months, right? So it's right around the corner. There'll likely be debates next uh, summer. So, you know, I think the attention of the country is going to shift. I actually think the fact that so many people are engaged in politics and so many people voted this last election day is an incredibly positive thing for this country. I think what we learned this past Tuesday is that the American people are ready to kind of snap back and take their politics back. And the best way for them to do that is not only to vote, but also to engage in the political process and the political debate, listening to candidates and kind of participating in the great battle of ideas that should happen every time we have an election.
4: So you're saying people should just get used to more political ads, stump speeches, um, but, but you in particular- Well, it gives you <laughs> a lot of content. Yes, for sure. Um, you in particular announced very early. Um, why so
5: early? I think I'm the right person for the job and I have the right vision for the country, right? I, I think the American people should believe in something better, something better than we have right now in our politics. But I'm not particularly well known. I'm a member of Congress. I'm a former entrepreneur. I spent my kind of whole career in the private sector, started two businesses from scratch. I took two companies public before I was 40 years old. I entered public service six years ago and I've been serving in the Congress of the United States. Not enough people know who I am. I think I've got great ideas and have the right vision for this country. But the best way for me to introduce myself to the American people is to get out there early uh, and start campaigning, which is what I did.
4: Do you think that strategies work? Do you, are you seeing an increase in name ID and as Absolutely. you travel the country?
5: Yeah, so I spent a lot of time in Iowa, New Hampshire, yeah. which are obviously the two places people spend a lot of time How, How I've many done,
4: trips have you done? I've done
5: 19 trips okay. to Iowa mm-hmm. and about 12 to New Hampshire. Right. So I've I've traveled extensively. There were two independent polls done in Iowa that we had nothing to do with that had my name ID. One had it at seventy nine percent statewide and the other had it at like 64, 65 percent. And those were done in the last couple of months. So we went from a place about a year ago where let's face it, I had almost no name ID in Iowa to the point where I have uh, the similar name ID to the top kind of candidates that are most often talked about. So that
4: remains your priority right now, to just get people to know who you are? Well, I
5: think in Iowa, uh, for example, they they do know who I am. So Mm -hmm. now my priority is actually to start kind of persuading people to join the team. Right. Mm Because the first year was really about introducing myself, Mm -hmm. you know, giving those the great Iowans and the folks in New Hampshire an opportunity to know who I am. And now we're building big. We have about 10 people on the ground in Iowa now. That'll probably be 20 to 25 by the end of the year, probably 100 on the ground in June. Mm -hmm. So we're running a major campaign uh, in these two states. So. Starting now, we're in the business of getting people to sign up to, to caucus for John Delaney or to primary for John Delaney in New Hampshire. All
4: right. Uh, well, you tweeted yesterday. Um, it should be noted what most of the Dem pickups ran on and what they didn't run on. They ran on uni- universal yes. health care, not just single payer, protecting Mueller, not impeachment, getting things done, and unity, not more partisanship, immigration reform, not eliminating ICE. Right. So you're saying the path to the, to the presidency is essentially and a moderate platform, is that what you're trying to say?
5: I I think the path to the presidency, the way to beat Donald Trump, is to actually tell a better story about what this country can be. For the American people to believe our politics can be better than it is now. Mm -hmm. And to me, that means bringing the country together, restoring a sense of unity and common purpose, and working on things where the American people kind of agree with each other on, right? Doing big things, but doing them in a way where you can find common ground. And I think that's the path. And I think a lot of the candidates, if not all of them, who flipped Republican seats, Democrats who flipped Republican seats, ran on exactly that type of platform, which was the point I was making. None of the flips, if you will, the the 29 to 35 Democrats who flipped Republican seats. You know, they ran on universal health care, but they didn't say single payer is the only way to get there. Mm -hmm. Right. They ran on protecting the Mueller investigation and holding the president accountable. But they didn't run on impeaching. The president. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they didn't run on partisanship. They ran on unity. They ran on bringing the country together, finding common ground, representing all their constituents, whether they're Democrats, Republicans or independents. Mm-hmm. That's what we saw in the election results this past Tuesday. Right. And to me, it was so obvious. That's what we need to be as a party.
4: Geographically, do you see a, what is your path? I mean, we've, we've seen in Tuesday's election the sort of divide between rural and right. urban voters and especially seeing that play out in the Democratic Party. Do you see a geographic path in, in terms of picking between the two?
5: I think that's a false choice. I think what what I stand for mm-hmm. and what the, the new Democratic Party should stand for, we ought to be able to compete on that platform anywhere in this country. I've been to all 99 counties in Iowa already. I've done that in my first year. And I can tell you whether I'm in Des Moines or Polk County and I'm campaigning in in front of big groups of Democrats, right, or I'm in rural Iowa, the kind of things I'm talking about, heads are nodding, right? So I think the Democratic Party has for too long just focused in many ways on the the coasts Mm -hmm. and we've ignored the center of the country. And if you read our constitution and understand how how our democracy works, you really need to get broad support in this country if you want to get buy-in for the things you want to do. So I, I'm a Democrat who, who will campaign everywhere.
4: So what makes you for the best pick for the center of the country? There are many candidates who are, who are also targeting the, that same audience. What makes you the best pick?
5: Well, first of all, I've got a very unique background. I grew up in a blue-collar family. My dad was a union electrician. My parents didn't go to college. My dad's union actually paid for me to go to college at Columbia University. Then I became an entrepreneur. I was the youngest CEO in the history of the New York Stock Exchange, started two companies from scratch. I didn't get any money from my dad. You know, I, it, it was a real kind so you're
4: not of... not Donald Trump. In no.
5: <laughs> I mean, my dad helped me move some furniture into my offices when I set up my first company, created thousands of jobs, and then I rolled up my sleeves and I entered public service and I've been serving in the Congress of the United States. So that kind of background, blue collar kid, working class family, successful entrepreneur, which we need so many more of in this country, right? We need people out there creating jobs and understanding how you do that. But then I've been six years in the Congress, so I understand how our government works. So I've got, I think, the, the right background for the job. But most importantly, I have the right vision. I really do believe our politics can be better in this country, and I want the American people to believe in something better. That it doesn't have to be this divisive. We don't have to be pitted against each other. We can actually get some real things done. The world is changing so fast. I mean, you guys talk about this a lot on BuzzFeed. Technology, automation, artificial intelligence, these things are having such a profound effect on our economy and our world. What we don't have is a government that's actually getting things done to prepare our well, citizens. Speaking for
4: of your time in Congress, um, you know, after the midterm elections, we're going to see uh, leadership elections yes. play out on the Democratic side. Should Nancy Pelosi be speaker?
5: You know, I, I'm not running for re-election. I didn't run for re-election because I, I think you should kind of own your ambition in some ways, and I want to be the president of this country, and I want to commit to that and campaign full-time. I have believed for a long time we should have new leaders stepping forward in the Democratic Party, which is one of the reasons I'm running for president. So Nancy Pelosi, be... listen, Nancy okay. Pelosi did a very good job taking back the House of Representatives. That was the single most important thing for the Democratic Party to do this cycle. You know, I campaigned for, for 95 candidates all around this country. And if you look at the results in the House and these seats we flipped, including seats that the president won two years ago, I think Nancy Pelosi and her team mm-hmm. did a terrific job, and I think she's got a really good argument as to why she should at least lead the caucus through this so you're transition transitional
4: period. period, and then a younger person, perhaps. Well,
5: I think there's a broad acknowledgement, including by uh, by Leader Pelosi that we need new leaders, right? Mm-hmm. She's gonna make the argument that she knows exactly what to do right now, and that's a compelling argument. But, but, I, but that's kind of, to me, what the discussion should be, which is, mm-hmm. who's our next, who, who are the new leaders of the Democratic caucus, and how do, how do we bring those people forward while also benefiting from the experience that someone like Nancy has, because, let's face it, we're in divided government right now. And so she, she actually does know the playbook.
4: Any regrets stepping down at a time that now the Democrats have the majority and could you know, do more?
5: You know, listen, I've loved being in the Congress of the United States. It has been the great privilege of my life to serve my constituents in Maryland's 6th District. But I just didn't think it was fair to them mm-hmm. to actually run for president and spend all my time in Iowa, New Hampshire and actually represent them. And I think in politics, there's not enough kind of authenticity in politics. Mm -hmm. You know, people want to you know play all the options and they want to play this cat and mouse game where, you know, I'll go to Iowa, but I won't say I'm running for president. You know, I'm just not like that. I'm very direct, very upfront, very transparent. And I think if you want to run for president, which is an incredibly difficult task Mm -hmm. to do, that should be your full-time
4: endeavor. All right, well, thanks so much for for joining us, Congressman Delaney. Um, up next, he sits down with Chef Flynn McGarry. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome back everyone. This is The Sit Down, and I am here with Chef Flynn McGarry and Cameron Yates, star and director of the new documentary, Chef Flynn. Good morning guys, welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Very glad to have you guys here. The film documents Flynn's evolution from child prodigy to professional fine dining chef. Let's take a look.
6: Can everyone just be quiet so we can hear what the chef has to say? So this is a deconstructed Caesar salad and the right
7: there is the Mm. uh, the romaine and jicama slaw. And then there's a little bit
6: of bread next to it. And then on top is a parmesan jelly.
1: Okay, uh, first of all, that sounds delicious still. <laughs> um, I have never had a Parmesan jelly in my life, but it sounds delightful. I don't think I've had one since. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Cameron, let's start with you really quickly. What was it that first drew you to Flynn's story that made you want to make this film?
5: Uh, I mean, I'm glad you showed that clip because that's exactly why I was fascinated. So that was Flynn's mom also in the in the footage,
2: but she had shot all these incredible uh, videos of him over the years, and that was actually his first
5: in his living room in Eureka in California where he opened up his pop-up and was serving friends and family, I think from the age of 10. So I, I was just got fascinated by that story.
1: All right, so a good chunk of the film, like you said, is drawn from that footage from Flynn's mom, Meg. Flynn, my dad is a producer. I He always had his camera out, though not quite to the degree, it seems, that your mom did. Uh, did you wish you had more privacy growing up? or are you okay with just how much of you is documented and recorded somewhere on VHS tapes?
8: I mean, it, I think it definitely prepared me for having a lot of cameras around and got very uh, used to it. Um, I also, I mean, I don't think, it wasn't necessarily intended of being like, like initially a lot of the footage in the film, it was just sort of like a little th- like thing my mom was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so I, I don't think I was necessarily thinking at the time like this is going to end up in a documentary. Right. Um, so I mean, yeah, I, I think it at the time, as you can see a lot in the film, was thirteen years old and did, didn't really want to be filmed. Um, but I, I think that. I think in hindsight, there's something very special about those sort of very formative years of like my career being documented, um, because very few people kind of have that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely in the moment was a little bit would have liked the privacy, but now, I mean, I, I think it I, it worked out definitely in the it end. It is what it is. It is what it point. is, yeah.
1: All right, Flynn, you've been cooking for strangers for nearly a decade now. Uh, what's the biggest thing you've learned about cooking that you wish more people actually considered? I think probably the biggest
8: thing I've learned about uh, cooking was the fact that it, it's probably one of the smallest parts of like a dining experience. Okay. That like. I mean, it really has only come kind of recently and realized about sort of the dinners we used to do, but like the actual cooking and the, the food itself is just one part of a much larger experience. And like, you can't actually give yourself sort of the freedom to enjoy that unless the service is great, the room you're in is great, the people you're with are great. And so sort of really have learned about kind of all of the other um, facets of cooking that aren't just the physical act of it.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Speaking of, earlier this year, you opened GYM, your first permanent restaurant in the Lower East Side. What's the reaction been like so far? It's been great. I mean, it's been
8: definitely uh, interesting to see the difference of having so many pop-ups that would open and close and having something that is a lot more long-term and that can sort of grow with me opposed to sort of close when I've outgrown it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, I mean, the, the idea behind the restaurant was we wanted it to feel like, people coming to my house for dinner. Um, And that's sort of been the coolest reaction is that people really come in and really kind of feel at home and comfortable, which I think is something rare in a more kind of fine dining level restaurant.
1: All right, now in the film, uh, we see a couple of scenes. Uh, there's like actually a great clip towards the beginning where your mom shows this mini documentary that she made called Eureka. There's a little bit more lighthearted in tone and you were, had some troubles with that. Has, have over the years you gotten more used to laughing at yourself or are you still just very like, no, do not make fun of my food, sir? Definitely, <laughs> I think very quickly after that got
8: much better at laughing at myself. Um, I think sort of like in that moment, Yes, uh, it was, I was like a very kind of precocious child and then realized how, and I think that was the great thing about my mom having a huge sense of humor about it all the time was like, it's hard to take what you're doing so seriously when like everyone was sort of being like, don't take this so seriously. And I'm very glad that I kind of transitioned
1: into that. Okay, so there's been an influx in cooking shows uh, targeted towards younger people, children these days. Both MasterChef and Top Chef have junior editions these days. What do you think about those? I actually, I've judged Top Chef Junior. Hey! <laughs> uh,
8: and it was very funny to see this sort of group of, uh, I think they were all like 13 years old, that were very, very similar to me when I was that age. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I think it's great to sort of show that there is a lot of young talent in the cooking industry. Um, I'm always very kind of cautious of of things like that and how different that is from actually working in a restaurant, but um, I I hope that it sort of opens the people's eyes to the fact that like, you can be
1: really talented at a really young age. Uh, would you consider being on a competition cooking show yourself at any point? Or is Padma knocking on your door trying to no, get you on? I, I <laughs> <laughs>
8: spent too much time saying no. I, 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 I'm definitely a control freak, and I don't think there's any form of control in a, in a competition show.
1: That judge is, is good, though. You can I, I would judge. I enjoy okay. judging it. All yes. right. Okay. I'm going to look for you on the next yes. couple of seasons. You're going to be doing this for a while. Uh, okay. So, last question for you, Flynn. A few years back, everything. Filled with bacon. Then everything had an egg on top of it. What do you think is the most annoying trend in food these mm. days?
8: I feel like, I hate to say it, but I feel like matcha's
1: becoming overplayed. Really? You're done with the tea. I'm not done with it, but I feel like people need to like pull it back a little bit. What's the dumbest dish, you? well weirdest dish then, let's say, that you've seen it used in lately that you're like, this is just unnecessary? Mantra avocado
8: toast was probably one of the grossest
1: things. What? (laughs) No, why? (laughs) Okay, uh, we'll consider that a subtweet of whoever was (laughs) out there doing that. lemonade was pretty good, though.
8: We did have a a mantra mantra lemonade. That that I feel like is, (laughs) mantra just like stick to drinks. It's a tea,
1: stick, stick to drinks. That's fine. That is completely fair. Yeah. Flynn, Cameron, thank you so much for joining us. Chef Flynn is in theaters on November 9th. Up next, Stephanie has a throwback Thursday to the First Wives Club. Thanks
7: successful. The First Wives Club says, thank you. Next. I was trying. I was trying to do my Ariana. I don't know about that. That tweet was in reference to Ariana Grande paying tribute to the iconic film with her performance on Ellen. And joining me now to talk about it is New York Magazine Associate Editor Madison Malone. Madison, thank you for coming on. Happy Throwback Thursday. I'm so happy to talk about this with you. Okay, so we all saw Ari's performance of her new song where she did, uh, you know, throwback to the First Wives Club. Can you explain what was the iconography of that performance?
9: Sure, absolutely. How adorable was that
7: performance? It was so cute. It was so She's cute. so
9: adorable. So the First Wives Club, the thing you have to know is that it ends with a giant musical number. So you've got oh. Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton, and Bette Midler go through this whole saga of getting even with their ex-husbands. And then they sing. <laughs> uh, and that's what Ariana Grande was doing right down to the set, the costuming, the white jackets they put on in the end. It was pretty much shot for shot.
7: Okay, so this went completely over my head because I've never seen this movie. I know, I know, I know. I've never seen anything. It's kind of a sore spot between me and my husband because I have, like, no cultural awareness on everything. So lucky I have you here to (laughs) explain to me what exactly this movie's about and why it's so iconic and why she decided to use this for this song. Sure, so the
9: movie uh, begins at Middlebury College with these four women who say they're gonna be friends for life and spoiler (laughs) alert, they end up- They aren't. Yeah, they aren't. (laughs) Um, And so it's Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton, and Bette Midler are the three and they reunite when their fourth friend commits suicide Stalker Channing. This is how you know it's like a really stacked cast. Stalker Channing is yeah. in the movie
7: for the tiniest of seconds. Yeah, I was looking like through the Wikipedia this morning, and I was like, oh, dark. Dark, right? Yeah,
9: it's 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 definitely like a 1996 problematic fave in a lot of ways that it handles dark, dark topics. Uh, but the three of them reunite at, at their friend's funeral and discover that they've all kind of been played and burnt by their ex-husbands or current husbands who are about to become ex-husbands. And they come up with this plan to get back at the men. Uh, And one by one, they sort of go through this whole big process of of getting even with their husbands and also finding themselves. Um, And in the end, they wind up scamming, conning, playing the men out of a lot of money, and they use it to found a women's crisis center in honor of their deceased friend.
7: Oh, that's nice. That's a great
9: ending. Yeah, it has a nice ending, and that's the event they're at when they're all in the white suits and they're in that empty banquet hall. It's everyone has left from the opening night of this big crisis center they've founded, and then they start singing.
7: Okay, (laughs) okay. Naturally. I have to admit, when I was younger, and you know, this is one of those movies that you see a lot of imagery from, I thought it was about, like, first ladies. Yeah. Well, because they're in the the suit. Yeah. So, yeah, it
9: absolutely seems, like, presidential, but it's not.
7: I was like, oh, first wives. Got it. Got it. Okay, yeah. so what makes this movie so good? Why is it such a classic? It just has a little bit of everything going
9: going on in it. You know, there's, you know, One Husband is 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 sleeping with somebody who turns out to be a minor. One hu- This movie came out in 1996, so I don't feel that bad spoiling it for you. You've had I, I, you've had, It's decades. okay, it's
7: okay. No spoilers for this movie. Yeah, it came out, you know, like, over 20 years ago. One Husband is, like, in bed with the Mafia
9: secretly. Bette Midler is in it. There's just, it's, you know, like, at every turn, there's just, like, nine levels of drama going on. Um, and the three women in it are just iconic and so funny. I mean, Goldie Hawn is just a riot in it. You know, yeah. Diane Keaton is Diane Keaton. Goldie Hawn's the best. Right, yeah.
7: <laughs> so over the summer, you tweeted, who doesn't love a First Wives Club homage? But that was actually about an episode of The Bold Type, which is a show I know a lot of people on Twitter <laughs> totally love. <laughs> So this is just one of many homages to this film. Do you know of any others that have caught your attention recently? Uh, you know, I don't, but
9: I did. was thinking about it when, when this video came out. You remember that Twitter meme um, in the spring where it was tweeting like four movies that had like shaped you? It was your film struck four. Yes, yes, And I guess. just remembered like I tweeted four pictures of this scene of the women in the three <laughs> white jackets. <laughs>
7: I love it! I love it. Okay, so I know there's also, of course, it's 2018. We can't come up with anything new. There's a reboot of this happening. Yeah. <laughs> do we know anything about it yet? Do we? Are, how, what are your? Take your temperature on that. What do you? think? I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, in in concept, I'm all
9: for it. Uh, you know, we've got to see a, a more diverse cast. I think we have to see a little bit more careful handling of things like substance abuse, suicide. You know, it's again, the movie came out in 1996. So if you look back at it with a microscope, it's a, you
7: know, yeah, it's amazing. You cringe how- a little. It's amazing. Like how many films and TV shows from the '90s you kind of watch, and you're like, "Oh, all right, okay." This and this would one's not ultimately lie. good,
9: right? So yeah. it ultimately has like a pretty uplifting, empower, empowering message. So, are you so are you excited about it, or do
7: you think it's going to be kind of? I, I think you know, First Wife's Club is a classic.
9: It you can't you can't fix it, you can't break it. Maybe don't touch it.
7: <laughs> That's how I feel about a lot of reboots. When people say I'm a hater, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I think I'll probably just watch the movie again and <laughs> call it a day. Fair enough. Well, Madison, thank you so much for joining us. I promise I will watch First Wives Club at some point. It says in the prompter tonight. I don't know about tonight. But I'll watch it at some point, <laughs> I promise. Up next, Chantal sits down with Diwe Fumido.
0: Elon Green, you tweeted, It's miraculous and kind of st- Terrifying that Way is this funny at 26. Way Fumido, the newest queen of comedy, <laughs> joins me now. Hi. Hi. Oga. Good morning. Hi. Thank you so for having happy me. Happy to good have morning. you. I'm a huge fan of your show. Baited is hilarious. Thank it's you. So good. I well, love Baited. It is my firstborn child. I literally listen. I'm like, yes, yes, drag them, bait them. <laughs> so so good. Well, Indeed. I do it in real life too. Do so. you? This on the street. No you're promises. Yeah. you are just like, yeah. you win. You're just like well, see, How can I? Yeah, call I these White people, people constantly. Today? Yes, <laughs> love it so much. One who you just released your. New single called "Make It Clap for Democracy," which yes, that's a banger. The the graphics, like, can we get into that first and foremost?
6: Yeah, shout out to Hunter Spies, who uh, did graphics on that, and he edited it. He edited and directed it and pulled the graphics. But we like brainstormed this idea together. Um, Yeah, it was. My, it's my favorite song. Yeah. yeah. What made you want to tie in politics with music? Making it clap for democracy, honestly, is like a state of mind that I'm living mm, in right now. Yeah. I heard Maxine Waters say that quote that was like, if there's nothing like a wooden animal, you better shoot me, you better shoot straight, you know? You put her in the song. Yeah, put it in the song. Open the song What's with the that. Because that is the illest line. Yes. I've ever heard in my life from this, this, like, respected elderly woman. Yes. And, uh, she inspired Auntie. me. Auntie. Auntie. She's an Auntie Maxine. So she inspired me to make it clap, and that's why I combine music with comedy, because it's. It's hilarious. Yeah,
0: it's yeah. so funny. I mean, back in college, you studied poetry. I did. So, I did. what was that transition? I was a beatnik. Like?
6: <laughs> Were you? Yes. Okay. I did have a beret. Okay. Um, yes, I found it. Uh, what was poetry like, or how did I get into comedy? Mm-hmm. Poetry, I poetry just gave me so much life, and I felt like I could express myself with all these beautiful words. And I think comedy is a lot like poetry in that it's like the economy of words, and you're just looking to get to the, say, the cleanest thing in the shortest amount of time. Yeah. And so that's the connection between those things. And I think my jokes are poetry. Mm-hmm. Would you
0: agree? I would agree. I would agree. with you? For that sure. was baited. Yes, it <laughs> was. And I, I was. I was wrapped did it. into it. I baited it. Oh man, you baited me. Okay. All right. So. You You studied poetry and, and when you were growing up, did you realize that you were so funny? And when did you realize for the first time you were funny?
6: When did I realize for the first time that I was funny? Am I funny? You are funny. Now. I will say you are Um, Then I realize it now. No, I have no idea. I've always had this personality. Okay. For better or for worse. Yeah, Yeah, for better or for worse. I was very smelly as like a fourth grader. I was a stinky, yeah, child of (laughs) Nigerian immigrants and I smelled and people bullied
0: me. Yeah. Yes. So again, always been this person, just a different contour. Oh my, that's yeah. Hilarious. So, what, <laughs> when you are going to this discovery and things like that in comedy, going mm. to this world, do you think there's anything in comedy that's too serious to joke about?
6: Ooh. No. I think you can joke about anything. I just don't think. Um, I think you have to punch up. Mm-hmm. That's what I abide by in my comedy. But everyone's yeah. different, and I'm not going to police that. Yeah. But it should be something you believe in, and it should be something that's worth saying.
0: For sure. And who are some people that you admire and that you look up to that you think to do it right?
6: Aparna. Um, The list goes on there. So, yeah, I love those two. Janelle James is like my hero. Mm -hmm. Lauren Ashley Smith. Robin Didi. These people are very funny, very talented ladies. And... There, I could so go on. Great. There are so many women so I could many. name. Yeah, Mitra Juhari is very great. So yeah, Kurt Cobain. Larry of- Owens. Let me uh, name that, a man. That, I don't want to be were anti-men here. Jim. So, label- Jim. Yeah. Yes. They're, exactly. They're all hits. Uh, they're so funny. Yeah, I, I'm like really lucky because I get to perform next to people I think are so talented.
0: Wow. What's, yeah. Who's been your favorite collaborator that you had the chance to work with? My so favorite far? collaborator. Yeah. I loved working
6: at The Rundown with um, Jordan Temple, Alex English, Lauren Ashley Smith, Doug Abels, uh, Caitlin Bitsagai and Cody Wilkins and Alex English I said them yeah that was that room was awesome Janelle James worked there mm. for a time it was just awesome and everyone was just building mm. each other up and writing jokes together so that room was like all-time greats like it's crazy
0: yeah, yeah. for sure yeah. And speaking of Robin Thede Queen yeah. so funny you actually was a, were a writer on that show I and was a few black ri- women writers on television mm. so what was that experience like for you uh, working with black women uh, r- working with Robin Thede. Oh, on totally.
6: Show. Well, it was it was just the first time in my entire life that I was in a, a room with mostly women mm-hmm. who are women of color, yeah. you know, and queer and LGBT community, and like it felt awesome to to see that representation. Um, you know, usually walk in the room and you're the only person that looks like you, and that's never that's isolating, and it doesn't it's not productive for my comedy and my art. So I felt like I was heard in that room. And that was really great about the rundown.
0: Yeah, for yeah. sure. And what do you think, um, like for you, when you see people of color, like people who, like you have Lena Waifs, Lisa Rae, these amazing black women who yeah. are writing. Oh, on yeah. Television. What are things that you think need to be implemented until so there are more people in the room that are writers of color?
6: Give us more shows, man. Yeah, give everybody, give Amber Ruffin a show. Every single person deserves a show. And then with every single black woman had a show, we could have a black woman network of really great, funny shows. Am I pitching? Yes.
0: Now, with your pitch, what is, what is a show that you would like to see come to life? Um,
6: a show that, what do you mean? Like, if you could make and write your own show,
0: what would it be about?
6: I've been working on, <coughs> excuse me, I've been working on um, I'm writing a lot of music videos and a lot of songs. I'm working on an album, so I'd love oh, to wow. see like a musical variety. Okay, you're
0: doing everything. I yeah, I keep busy. Yes.
6: Yeah, I get bored. I, get, uh, <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> I need to write an album. I know, dude. Do... Oh write my a god. A song. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a song called From Melania to Sri Lanka. Okay. I have a song called Ponderosa with Amarosa. Yeah. With Amarosa? Yeah. yeah.
0: She's on the track?
6: No, she's not on the track. Okay, that would be really. Oh my god, she I like, should. Gave you, like you a know 16. Her?
0: I do not know Amarosa. Oh. It would be dope if she gave you a sixteen on the track, a remix. That'd be really good.
6: Amorosa remix, yes. I died. I'm so here for it. I'm sure she's listening. Amorosa holler at my people.
0: Please. <laughs> so funny. No, I love. <laughs> so no, good. well, actually, okay, I don't love, but you know, I, the bit is funny. Yeah, it, it is really good. I think that'd be a banger for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and who? Say wait. Thank you so much for coming today. Thank you for having I truly me. Really appreciate you. You're hilarious. All right, y'all. Up next, Hayes and I read your tweets. <laughs>
1: Welcome back, Dean. We have some very important breaking news for you. The duck is back in Central Park!
0: It is He bound. has returned!
1: Look at him! In his <laughs> glory! Look at he that is, He is like, just on fleek oh my
0: goodness. in the
1: Central Park pond on 60th and 5th. The duck is back. Ugh. Isaac, you're watching. I'm sure you can breathe easy.
0: The beauty. I'm so here for a while. Well, anywho, we <laughs> asked, would you rather have your boss ask for your resignation or just fire you? Rachel Hay, Girlfield says, it depends on which gives me an employment or a better package. Mm -hmm. Also, for a guy who built his brand on firing people, I find it funny Trump's administration all are resigning. Yeah, that's been a
1: bit of a thing with Trump. He he likes having John Kelly or someone else make the phone call to actually do the firing. So catchphrase? Incorrect. Yeah. All right, and Sherry Foreman says, well, depends. If the boss wanted me to resign to make it look better for them, then no, you didn't. You don't like what I do or did, then fire me! Two exclamation points. Do your own dirty work. If the benefit was to me, then I'd resign.
0: Fair. I'm legit. That. That's, legit. That's, that's, that's legit. I'm not covering
1: Fair. your tracks, yo. Yeah, you
0: listen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so real. And Maven has some great news to share. Oh, my gosh. I have the same jumper as Chantal. Yay. Oh, my gosh. So I really, it's a sweater, actually, but I really enjoy it. It's, it's very so comfortable. Good. It's, but you have to say, yay.
1: Yay. Period. Period. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you to all of our guests Dominic Holden, Needy Prakash, Congressman John Delaney, Stephanie McNeil, Tarini Party, Flynn McGarry, Cameron Yates, Madison Malone Kirchner, Ziwei Fumado. Woo, a lot of guests today. A lot
0: of guests. All right. Well, tomorrow is Friday, and we will be back here at 10 a.m. Bye, guys. Yeah.